Thank you, Daniel. Uh, you guys can be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. I'd like to welcome our virtual crowd as well. Glad that you have the opportunity to tune in online. And so if, if you have your Bible today, Zach, you can bring those lights up a little bit, brother. If you have your Bible today, we'll be in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. Y'all ready for this? Through the whole chapter of 14. So Exodus 13, verse 17, through Exodus chapter 14, verse 31. And I am actually super excited to continue our journey through the book of Exodus this morning. This morning, we will join the people of God as they triumphantly march out of Egypt. Um, the people of God at this point, they're seeing new sights, they're smelling new smells, they're breathing new air as the Lord had promised. It is in fact a new day. And I'm sure that they have um, high expectations as to what life is going to bring them. But as we'll see today, as they journey out of Egypt and in victory, their life and their journey will take a most unexpected turn. And so, if you would join me as I begin reading in Exodus 13, verse 17. And I, I do want to say this before I read. Um, I know it can be difficult to follow someone reading out loud a large portion of Scripture. But, this is the most perfect part of our service. The Word is the only thing we have this morning that is inerrant, which means it's perfect. And so the reading out loud of the Word of God in this portion of our time together is the only part that we can be sure is absolutely true and it will do exactly what the Lord intends for it to do. Okay, and so this is the Word of the Lord. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back. And encamp in front of Pi Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we've done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and he took his army with him and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt 
with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea by pi Haheroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew, drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. 
So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in His servant, Moses. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the wonderful gift of Your word. And now as we open it together, Lord, our hope is that You are glorified. For every child and teenager and adult that's in this room, Father, you have us here on purpose for this particular section of Scripture. And so I pray that you, as our greatest teacher, would teach us from your word. We must have your help in understanding your word. I must have your help in proclaiming and teaching your word. And so, Father, once again, we find ourselves in desperate need of you. And so I ask that you would speak to us this morning through Exodus 13 and 14. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. All right, so at the beginning of this section, we quickly see uh, a strange twist. As the people of God are exiting Egypt, verses 17 of chapter 13 and verse 18 tell us that when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land. Now, um, of the Philistines, the way of the land of the Philistines is if, all right, so it would have been like this. If we all set out to leave, and we were going to a place that we weren't sure how to get there, but we knew some of the way, we would put it in Google Maps and at least try to get to the closest destination. And if we did that, if we were them, they put it in Google Maps and they hit directions and they hit go. Shortly after they started their journey, um, Google Maps and that woman, it sounds like Siri, maybe it's Siri's sister, I don't know, but Siri says, uh, make a U-turn. And, and we would be confused because we know that we have and we know the straightest route. Like, like we know the way to go. And the way to go with probably one to two million people is what they think at this time. This number of people to exit Egypt and to find their way out of Egypt, it was to go through the land of the Philistines. But that's not where the Lord led them. One reason he tells us there in verse 18, one reason that he doesn't lead them in this particular way is because he knows that the Philistines will be alarmed with one to two million people making their way up towards them. The Philistines are going to know that the people of God have been enslaved and oppressed to the Egyptians for over 400 years. And so they're going to have to know that something um, like miraculous or Israel somehow found a way in their own strength to defeat Egypt to escape. And so they would be alarmed to see this large number of people coming up upon them. And so the Lord knows that. The Lord knows that and He knows that His people are not equipped for this kind of fight. And so He doesn't lead them by the way of the Philistines because He knows they're fickle. Right? I mean, you wouldn't think that a lack of faith would be something that they're experiencing right now. And friends, to be fair, they're not experiencing a lack of faith at this point. It's a new day, new sights, fresh air, they're finally freed. They're making their way out. Their God is good. Their God is strong. Their God is faithful. He's the covenant-keeping God. His steadfast love endures forever. But the Lord knows His people. He knows that their faith on one moment is going to be here, and their faith at the very next moment could be all the way down to here. And so He leads them on a way that, that they would not fight, and it's, a, it's not a, a good path that He leads them on from a human standpoint. It's an unexpected path, but he knows they have resistance, any resistance, they'll turn back and go to Egypt. Another reason he sent them on this way, and this is the primary reason, 
the primary reason he sent them on this way is because this particular path is going to set the stage for a final um, confrontation with Pharaoh. The Lord has unfinished business with the king of Egypt and this particular path is going to set everything up so that the Lord's glory can be displayed all the more. Now in verse 19, it seems a little odd, um, a little bit random, and it, it, it definitely seems random to you if you're not super familiar with the Old Testament story, and, and particularly beginning in Genesis on up to this point in Exodus, but in verse 19, somewhat randomly, it says that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. What in the world is going on there? Like in the midst of all that's happening, Moses remembers, I don't know if somebody brings it to mind, I don't know how he remembered, but he remembered and he said to somebody, hey, we can't forget Joseph. But here's the deal, it's Joseph's bones. Joseph has been dead for a very, very long time. But right at the end of Joseph's life, and I want you to turn there, it should be on the screen. But in Exodus chapter 50, the very end of Exodus, Exodus chapter 50, verse 25. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 50, verse 25. I'm sorry, a couple pages to your left. It says this, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph was a man who understood the faithfulness of God. Joseph was a man who, no doubt, had story after story after story because they are recorded of how his life took unexpected, undesirable turns for, towards what seemed like to him at the time the worst. His own family betrayed him. His own family got rid of him. He found himself in a foreign land. But at the end of Joseph's life, even though his, his story is what it is, his, his message and his testimony, now his boast is in the faithfulness of his God. And so at the end of his life, he knows that the Lord has promised through Abraham that God's people will be brought out of Egypt. It's not the promised land. And that God will give them a land to call their very own. It would be their possession. And so Joseph prophesies, the Lord will visit you. Well, friends, guess what we've just read over the last ten chapters or so? That prophecy coming true. The Lord visiting His people and the Lord bringing His people out of Egypt and setting them on the path toward the promised land. So what's the big deal about Joseph, well, I think just from a human standpoint, he's saying, I want to be there. Like, even though it's not me there, I want to be there. Don't leave me in Egypt. But from a spiritual standpoint, Joseph's bones and his body, what they represent is the faithfulness of God. That's what his life represented. That's what it was about. That's what weds these two stories together. We see that the past now is a part of the future and the same is true for my life and the same is true for your life and so any moments that we have that we can remember the faithfulness of God we need to cling to those and so Joseph's body was just something tangible it was a marker if you will it was something to look to and say God is faithful no matter what the circumstances bring we know that our God is faithful 
Then in verse 20, we get sort of an update on how the trip is, is going and where they encamp and that they find themselves on the edge of the wilderness. And then in verse 21, uh, there's this magnificent sight. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire. And so, and, and, and so what you have here, this is to give them light at night so that they might travel day and night. So now we have this um, a, another miraculous thing that's happened and that the Lord Himself has come near to His people. The Lord Himself is now visiting His people by the way of this pillar of cloud by day that brings shade and guides them and this pillar of fire by night that brings them warmth and also lights the it lights the way. We've sort of seen this build up to this point. In, in Exodus chapter 3, you remember when the Lord meets with Moses at the burning bush? That is what's, what, what theologians call a theophany. It's an appearance of the Lord, a display of the Lord. Well, now we see it progress to the pillar by day and the pillar by night. It's, a, it's another theophany. It's a display of the Lord. We're going to see it climax in Exodus chapter 20 when the Lord Himself in His full glory uh, when the, uh, the Israelites cannot even look upon the face of the Lord. They can't even look up the mountain. They can't look at the face of Moses because he's seen the glory of God. Well, this is the Lord Himself guiding and comforting His people. And I think that is the most important thing to try to understand about this. It's not necessarily what is the phenomenon that's happening. The most important thing to understand about this is the clouds represented the guidance and the nearness of the Lord. The Lord had drawn near to His people and what a tremendous grace. What a tremendous grace that God would see fit to come make Himself known in yet another way. Not just in these ways of these of great acts of judgment and these great acts of power, but He's made Himself known in the mundane. I mean, think of it. They roll out of their tent every morning and all they have to do is what? They look up. There's the Lord. He's near. If they want to know which way to go, all they have to do is look up. If they're cold, all they have to do is draw near to the warmth that they can't see. All they have to do is look. What a, what a kind act from God. And so I also think this helps us understand a little bit more of what's going through their minds. This is a high moment. They're free to worship the Lord. Remember, this is what this was about. They wanted a few days to go to the wilderness to worship their God. Well, here they are. And they have the Lord in all of His fullness. And He's drawn near to them. And He's showed them part of His glory. Well, then in chapter 14, it takes a, an unexpected uh, twist again. This is another aspect of the unexpected twist. Not only do they go a, a unique route, but now you look at chapter 14, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now that literally just sounds like a bunch of weird places and it doesn't seem like it means much to us, but look at verse 3. It gives us more insight. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And so, this is an unexpected reversal of direction. This turning back makes literally no sense. Because what they found is the path that the Lord has led them on, listen, there's actually no path at all. It's 
It's dead-ended. The sea is to their back, and they're in the wilderness. It doesn't make sense. And we know that it doesn't make sense because of uh, Moses telling us what Pharaoh's response is going to be. So as the Lord worked in Pharaoh's heart and in the heart of his people, then they go, they come to this place of, why did we let them go? Now our entire workforce is completely gone. And so we know that they think they got to go get them. And, but, but we also have this 30,000 foot view of seeing the Lord's providential hand working in that and hardening Pharaoh's heart and hardening his people's heart. And so I guess Pharaoh might send spies out there. I'm not 100% sure how this goes down. But nonetheless, as they observe the people of God and they see where they are, their um, response to that is, is um, they're just wandering. Like they're lost. It's just a bunch of uh, men with their wives and children and they're wandering about and they're confused and they don't know where to go. And so the message that they would bring back to Pharaoh is, uh, look, we can get them. Like if you want them, now's the time to go get them. And so, verses 3 through 5 let us know that this is, and I'm not going to read that this time, but this is all div divinely designed setup. The Lord is about to checkmate Pharaoh because it's a trap. God's people feel trapped. They are literally trapped. Pharaoh is foaming at the mouth to go get them. He gets all of his army. He gets all of his chariots. And he sets out after the weak, little, poor, pitiful, lost, wandering people of God who have no idea how to do anything on their own. But he does not realize that the Lord is orchestrating a massive humiliation of Pharaoh and his army. And he's also orchestrating a concluding display of his power to finally put to rest Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. That's, that's what's coming. And so then in verses 6 through 10, pick up in verse 10, because 10 is ominous to me. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. So, so, so if you can picture this, I know it's 11 o'clock and it's humming in here and it's comfortable and everybody's ready to go. But try to picture this. Try to picture being the people of God. Your back's to the sea. I'm sorry, the sea's to your back. The wilderness is around you. You're confused. You're like, what are we doing here? Why are we camping here? What's going on? And you hear something or you look off in the distance and what you see is this massive dust cloud and as it gets closer to you, what you make out is hundreds upon hundreds of chariots. And here comes Egypt. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? They did not anticipate this. Remember, they've just been saved. God's presence is there in the day. God's presence is there in the night. But now they look up and here they come. And, and the Bible says that they, they cry to the Lord. We've seen them cry to the Lord. We've seen their cry to the Lord be right. We've seen their cry to the Lord be an act of faith. But what exactly is going on here with this cry to the Lord? Well, in Psalm 106, if you want to turn there, in Psalm 106, verse 7, we get some insight as to what is the motive of this cry and what this cry is about. Psalm 106, verse 7, listen to this. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt did not consider your wondrous works. 
They do not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. Listen, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. So a response that seems appropriate, the Bible tells us is, is not appropriate. Their faith was just here, now their faith has bottomed out. They literally have no faith. Uh, listen to what they go on to say in verses 11-12. through 12. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Just in case there are some of us here that have trouble sensing sarcasm, this is sarcasm. And I know this is sarcasm because Egypt, the land that they had grown up in for generations, committed three-fourths of their property to grave sites. Think pyramids. The Egyptians were obsessed with death. They thought of... They had many worship ceremonies around death in hopes to bring someone back or in hopes that they would be reincarnated into something different. But this is, this is simply sarcasm because Egypt is full of graves. And so in a sense, they're going, Hey Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt for you? Listen to what they go on to say. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Listen to this, friends. You remember what serve is synonymous with in the Hebrew. What? Help me. Worship. How heartbreaking. These people have just been freed by God. They've been freed to worship God. They've experienced God in the cloud and in the pillar. But now their faith is completely gone. So much so that they're willing to go back and serve and worship in Egypt. If it meant their comfort and their safety. And they say that. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians or worship the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It is as simple as this. God didn't do what they thought He should do, so they lose faith in spite of what He had already done. God did not do what he, they thought He should do, so they lose faith in spite of what He had already done. They're viewing their present circumstance without any reference to the fact that the Lord Himself is the one who led them out of Egypt. They're viewing the present circumstance without any reference to this fact that the Lord Himself had been with them already day by day and night by night on the journey. And it's because they can't swallow the fact that it's the Lord Himself that has led them to the bank of the Red Sea. The same Lord saved them. The same Lord was with them day by day. And that same Lord, this is where they're falling off the wagon here, that same Lord has led them away that they did not think they should go. And all too often we do the same thing. Our faith is strong as long as our life makes sense. Our faith is strong as long as things go the way we want them to go. Well, in verse 14, this is, this is Moses' finest moment today. He has grown to trust the Lord. Look what he says in 14. He says to them, I'm sorry, 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. 
For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. The tone of this is not one of comfort. And so don't hear it as one of comfort. Moses is not being passive here. The tone of this is the tone of correction and a tone of exhortation. Moses plainly sees that the people of God have completely lost faith, but Moses himself has not lost faith because we know that because of his, his message to them to fear not and to stand firm and to watch what the Lord will do. A fight is about to break out. I mean, friend, like that's what this is. And this is the first time in the Bible that the Lord is considered what we will see multiple times through Exodus and throughout the New Testament as a divine warrior. It's about to be a war. And the Lord Himself is going to single-handedly destroy Pharaoh and all of His army. Now in verses 16-30, through 30, the most familiar part of this whole section, it is when... The Lord shows His people His power. The Lord shows the Egyptians His power. The Lord shows His people His faithfulness and His love. And at the same time, the Lord shows the Egyptians what it looks like to be judged by Him. And He pours out His wrath on them by destroying their enemy and by saving the lives of His people. It's a fantastic story that I know you've read through, but I encourage you not to let the familiarity... Let it lose its luster, and I encourage you to read back through that. But as we come to the end of uh, the Red Sea parting and God's people passing through, and then the Red Sea closing in on the Egyptian army, we see verses 30 and 31. And chapter 14 ends this way, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, and this is what it produced. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant, Moses. In just a chapter and a half, we've seen the people of God here, and then we've seen them where? Here. Well now, as we wrap up chapter 14, guess where they are again? They're back here because they've seen the salvation of the Lord. They've seen a full, in, in this one act, they've seen a, a, an, an act of love. They've seen His steadfast love. In the same act, they've seen His judgment. They've seen His wrath. And what this produces in them is this reverent fear and belief. And they believe their, their faith is strong again. But they were here, and they were here, and now they're back here. And guess what? We're going to see them go back down here and we're going to see them back up here and we're going to see them drop off and as I thought about them this week I couldn't help but think that the Israelites are a clear representation of me. Now, I don't want to hurt your feelings but they're a clear representation of you. And so with that in mind I want to close with three truths and one exhortation. I only have a few more moments so hang in there. The first truth that we see from this section is that the Lord often leads us down an unexpected path. Every Christian here has a story to tell about how God has led you down a peculiar path. I honestly wish we had time in this moment 
to think about all of the different life circumstances that got you in the chair that you're in right now. Or the life. Right now. A lot of our paths were not obvious. A lot of our paths were not preferred. As we think back on the past the Lord has led us down, there's certainly pain, there's certainly disappointment, there's certainly frustration, just like we see in the people of God. And there are certainly those high moments where we knew we were saved and our faith was strong and God was great, like that leaving youth camp and you're on fire and you're about to go be a preacher and the whole school's going to get saved when you get back and you just can't wait. And then Tuesday morning comes and you're like, wait, what was all that? I'm not quite as excited. Like, like this is us. This is, who, this is who we are. We are people just like the people of Israel. And the Lord leads us on unexpected paths. And we just don't really know which way to look sometimes. But we can be grateful that God's wisdom and God's care for us is greater even than our wisdom and our care for ourselves. That's a difficult thing to trust and believe. That the Lord knows better than you know. He's wiser than we are. He cares more about us than we even care about ourselves. And these type passages are meant to comfort us when our lives take a path that isn't desirable. Right? And so I don't know if that's true of you this morning, but I, I got a feeling, because I know some of your stories, as you think back on those things, you're like, whew, sheesh, what a ride. Well, regardless of the path that got you where you are this morning, I do know that every single one of us can sing with joy, and if you know it, sing it. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. Twas grace that brought us safe thus far. And how does it end? And grace will lead you home. That's true. That's true. That's what it means for the Lord to lead us even down unexpected paths. This second truth goes, goes well. They're friends. They're holding hands to the first truth. The Lord will be with you. And so not only has every Christian here experienced a peculiar path, every Christian here has experienced the presence and the guidance of God. But, but, but let's be honest. The whole cloud thing is pretty sweet. Right? Roll out of the tent. What are we going to do today? Look up. Where do y'all want to go? Look up. Where should I go to college? Well, look up. Who do I marry? Where's, where's the cloud? I'm following the cloud. I'm, I'm, I'm following the Lord. Like, that's desirable. Man, it would be so helpful when Charlie and I go on dates. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I don't care. Like, if we just open the sun or if we go, where's the cloud? We just follow the Lord. Like, how awesome would that be? We would all love that. It would make things so much easier. And certainly it was a comfort as the Lord drawed, brought Himself near to His people and displayed Himself. But I want to say to you this morning that what we have in Jesus is actually um, immensely more precious than this pillar of cloud. Because, primarily because the pillar of cloud, as great as it was, it was only designed to be for a moment. 
And what it represents in our lives is the, the moments where we feel the Lord's nearness and we know that He's there and our steps seem to be right there and everything seems to be just as plain as day and there's strong faith and the Lord is showing Himself. It just doesn't last. And so what we need, even though it would be desirable, what we need is more than a temporary cloud to know us, I'm sorry, to tell us how to take steps in this life. What we need is a deeper presence and a deeper work. And what we have in Exodus through the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire is a picture and a preview of the glory of God that will be fully displayed in the coming of His Son, Jesus. In John chapter 1, I, I could not help but just get so excited um, when I was studying this and like paralleling the Lord's nearness in Exodus through the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire to John chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to this. Thinking of God's nearness and God coming to His people and God displaying His glory to His people. Listen, friends. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. We have something far superior to the cloud. For we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And even more than that, Christ Himself serves as our guide and as our protector because He has sent His very own Spirit not to hover above us, not to sit on our shoulder, but to dwell within us. The Bible says that He has made us His home. That, that we are the temple of the Spirit of God. So, so the Lord will be with you. Friends, if you don't hear anything else today, whatever you're going through right now, I want you to hear this. The Lord is with you. He's with you. If you're His, He has not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you. He is with you. And the, and the testimony of that Spirit that is within you is going to take your mind and your heart to the hope and the promise of Jesus. And we saw the full display of the glory of God. Third, and I should get an amen, giving you a heads up, so rub your eyes and get ready. The Lord often leads us down an unexpected path. One, the Lord will be with you. Three, the third truth we see from this, salvation is coming. It's coming. Like we live in this perpetual state of the Israelites having the sea to their back and the armies closing in. We're excited, we're scared, we're excited, we're scared. And, and, and the message from the Word of God to the hearts of His people right now is that um, it, it's pointing us to a salvation that is sure, but it's similar to the Exodus in that it's coming. Like, did, did you notice Moses' language? He said, you will see the salvation of the Lord. You, this will be the last time you ever see these enemies. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know. As far as we know, he wasn't told. And so, salvation is coming. And so even though in this life we are on this awkward, strange path, it feels like the Red Sea is to our back, it feels like the army's closing in, it feels like heaven is silent, 
the message of the Bible is salvation is coming. When we leave this earth, we as an individual, if we die before the Lord returns, we will, if, you're, if you are a believer, you will, your, your sea will part. And you will walk into eternal glory on dry ground to a safety and a presence and a glory that this world does not have. But if we all live long enough to see the return of Christ, we will together cross that Red Sea on dry ground to a, a safety and a glory and a comfort and a peace that transcends anything this life could ever bring us, even if the Lord gave us a cloud as cool as that would be. I'd like to try it. So I want to leave you with one exhortation. In light of these truths, there's an exhortation. Therefore, because of what we've just talked about, fear not and stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. Fear not. Stand firm. These, these are some of the hardest things to learn as a Christian. And maybe that's just me. But do you know what the most frequent command in the Bible is? Anybody? Fear not. And, and what goes along with the frequency of the command, because again, a command is the Lord's telling me and He's telling you to not fear. That's a command. That means we're supposed to obey that command. And, and so what He's done with the frequency of that command is he's, he's, he's matched it with another frequency. And what He's matched it with is how many times He tells us of His faithfulness. How many times He shows His Power. How many times He shows the love that He has for His people. And the Exodus folks are no different. They've just seen the plagues. They've seen the faithfulness of the Lord. So there's context and there's meaning and there's precedent for this. Fear not. Well, of course you shouldn't fear. Do you, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what the Lord has, has brought you out of? But it's still, it's still difficult in that moment. But throughout Scripture, God affirms that He is trustworthy and faithful so that we are able to even keep this command that, he given us, that He's given us. The truth is, every one of us at some point, every one of us at some point is going to receive the command from the Lord. And you'll have to obey it. Fear not. And stand firm. To be fair, it's coming a time when the Israelites are going to be commanded to move and they need to move. There's coming a time when the Israelites are commanded to fight and they're going to have to fight. But it's not today. Today, the command is fear not, stand firm, and basically this, guys, watch. Watch. Watch what your God does. Because they were in a fight that they could not win on their own. Had they taken things into their own hands, they would have suffered a sure defeat. And there's coming a day. If it's not today, then you and I will have to obey that difficult command of being still and trusting in our God to do for us what we cannot do. How is it possible for us today? Well, it's possible for us today because as we stand firm, as we fear not what we do, where our eyes go, our eyes are taken to something that's happened in the past. Where the divine warrior won the battle that we cannot win for ourselves. And I think you probably know what event I'm talking about, and that event is it's Calvary. 
And so for you and I to stand firm and to fear not, it can be worded to remember the salvation of the Lord. When Jesus says from Calvary, it is finished, that's what it means. The victory has been won. Salvation has been accomplished. The price has been paid. So fear not. Stand firm and watch. And the only way we can do that with any sort of peace or sanity is to look back at Calvary and to believe and to trust. I want us to close with um, reading to you from Colossians. And if you would bow your heads, uh, and, and I know there's kids and we're, we're done. We don't have a closing song for this service. But if you're in here today and you, you say, hey, I'm, like, I'm like on the middle of that path you're talking about. Like I, I, I feel like my life is just a mess and I don't see the Lord in it and I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. But you hear the Word. You hear it. You hear it. And you hear fear not. You hear stand firm. And so where do you go with that? Like what's the application? Well, I want to read to you from Colossians chapter 2 beginning in verse 13. And I pray the Word of God ministers to your heart right now. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that could be understood as you who had encamped at Etham and Succoth and the Red Sea was to your back. Death was sure. Death was certain and less and less unless the Lord intervened. You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's divine warrior talk. He, he disarmed, He defeated the sea swallowed up the rulers and authorities and He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. In Jesus. So as you reflect on salvation this morning, I, I just want to point your hearts and your minds to the power of the Gospel to the salvation that was accomplished for us that we can never accomplish for ourselves. So therefore, we can this morning. I promise we can do it by faith. We can fear not. We can stand firm. And we can see the salvation of the Lord.